see, am I on? Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Hello? So I don't know if you've ever uh, made this amazing friendship with someone uh, and then you find out that you or they are moving away or a hundred million miles away, another country, whatever. They're just moving away quite a distance between you. I've had this quite a few times. On a smaller scale, when I went to uh, Spring Harvest, which is a Christian festival in Minehead at Butlands, uh, where like, I'd meet someone for a week, make really good friends with them, <clears throat> and then they'd end up living in Brighton or Scunthorpe or somewhere really far away. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why Scunthorpe. <laughs> I just popped in. But uh, <laughs> I do have a big story that's kind of in this kind of theme, where uh, I was in my first year of college at Truro, and uh, I had this friend called Victor, who, uh, who is the sort of friend that I could like text or phone whenever, and he'd be free, and we'd meet up, grab a coffee, have a burger, whatever. And um, the issue was that he was actually a German exchange student, so he was only here for a year. And so in my second year, I didn't have that sort of friend. I just spent that whole year kind of building up that relationship with him. And then he'd gone back to Germany and there was hundreds of miles between us. And so in my second year, I was like, there was no one I could just text or phone to say, do you want to meet up, uh, have a chat with and chat about anything. And actually I felt lost. And actually this is something that can happen in your relationship with, with God. You can feel that there's this massive distance between you and God. And there's a time where this happened in, uh, to the Israelites in Ezekiel, where they're in exile in Babylon. Now, this passage, is, the passage that I'm talking on today is in Ezekiel 11. And I'm aware that some of you may not be familiar with the story. I was chatting to Alex beforehand. And he was just asking what I was preaching on. I said, I'm preaching on Ezekiel 11. And he was just like, I'm not even going to lie to say that I know where that, what that means and what that is. And uh, so um, I'll give you a brief overall of the book of Ezekiel. And so uh, the book was written by a prophet and a priest. His name was Ezekiel, funnily enough. And um, he got taken into Babylon uh, during the exile of Israel. And when he was in Babylon, he had this vision when he was sat down next to a canal. Happened to be on his 30th birthday, which was, uh, I don't know if it signifies anything. Um, and he saw this throne which had four-winged beings underneath it and then it had wheels underneath the like, winged creatures. And it looked like a throne chariot. And on, on the throne, Jesus was... Uh, no, not Jesus. God was sat. And uh, this signified the presence of God, which for Ezekiel was really confusing because Israelites thought that the presence of God was only in Jerusalem, in the temple. And so uh, then Ezekiel does these sign acts, which are really quite bizarre, where he builds this tiny version of Jerusalem and then destroys it to signify the warning for, for Israel coming. And he also um, ends up being tied up and lying on his side for a year and having to eat food that's been cooked by poo. I mean, it's pretty gross. Um, but these are all signs of what is kind of a warning and stuff for Israel from God. It's very bizarre. 
and yeah, you really need to understand it. Um, but then God spoke to Ezekiel after this, saying that um, that he was sent to warn Israel, but that Israel wouldn't listen to him. And so then after this, after all that crazy stuff, God then sends Ezekiel on this like virtual tour of the temple in Jerusalem. And this is where Ezekiel 11 kind of sits. It's in, it's a, the virtual tour is like chapters 8 to 11. And, uh, and so in the, um, in the temple, uh, God shows Ezekiel three different groups worshipping idols. Now, an idol is anything that takes our kind of top priority over God. And so there were three, three different idols there. There was an idol of jealousy, uh, an idol of Tammuz, which was a Babylonian idol. And then um, in the inner courts of the temple, there were 25 men with their backs, backs to the presence of God, worshipping the sun. And so then Ezekiel sees the throne chariot that he saw back in Babylon above the temple and is heading towards the direction of Babylon. And in chapter 11, which is the hinge point of Ezekiel as a book, uh, which is split in two, there is the warning of judgment from the Lord that Ezekiel is kind of showing to, it, to Israel. And then there's this hope that, uh, that God brings after that judgment. And so uh, the main thing, and that hope that, hope that God promises is a remnant which is like a descendant of David, who is Jesus. And so the thing of main importance for Israel in this passage is that God doesn't leave them when they're in exile. And actually he joins them within exile in Babylon. Now the rest of the book of Ezekiel is Ezekiel kind of prophesying that judgment, what's going to happen, and then that hope that God's going to bring. And so God um, shows through Ezekiel that he's going to judge uh, Israel as a nation, he's going to judge the nations, like all the nations, and he's going to judge Jerusalem. But then he also brings that hope, the hope that he's going he's to bring hope for Israel through the remnant of David, through Jesus. And he's also going to bring hope through uh, the promise of being reborn. And that's where the Valley of Dry Bones sits, which I'm sure is a story that most of you will have heard. And then he brings a, um, a promise of hope for the nations that uh, God will destroy all the godless nations. And, so, and then he also promises hope for all creation through the, uh, God's presence within the New Jerusalem and then this river flowing out of the city into the desert and into the Dead Sea, signifying that Jesus comes to bring life to dead and barren places. Now we have a, at least a brief understanding of the overarching story of Ezekiel. We can dig deeper into Ezekiel 11. Now, the core theme of the chapter is going from judgment to hope and throwing from a place of no hope to a hopefulness, a reconciliation that only God can give. Now, do you ever feel in a place of hopelessness within your relationship with God? 
that you don't feel worthy of being in his presence. I do and have done things. You, uh, I, I do and you've done things or thought things that make you feel disconnected to God. Your soul is in such a state <clears throat> you question why would the creator of the universe want to spend time with me? Because of this, you stop spending time in his presence and feel more and more disconnected with God. You're struggling to feel his presence and you're convinced that God has given up on you. Hopelessness. You've spiraled into a place where you have convinced yourself that God doesn't want you or to spend time with you. I don't know, and I don't need to know how often this has happened to you. And I'm sure that this has happened to most of you. And it has to me. But like that small flame in the darkness, there is hope. Hope that God will pull through. That God will pull you through. That his love will surround you again. That his presence will be felt again. That you will reconnect with him again. That his love will surround you and bring you back to that place of hope. And like in Ezekiel, this hope is found through the redemptive blood of Jesus. That there is a reason that the first prophecy of hope in Ezekiel is Jesus. And that is, that is because that no matter who you are or where you're at, what Jesus did for us on the cross and rising again brings hope. Now there are times with, uh, when God will need to judge us and we as human beings will inevitably do something stupid. I know I do all, a lot of the time. Or we'll do something that we regret and uh, we need to know that we have done wrong, that we need to seek God's forgiveness. We also need to be aware that there's no way to work our salvation. That being, we can't do things that impress God so much. He thinks, oh yeah, like, you've twisted my arm, you'll be saved. That he won't look at, like, think, oh look at Liam, he's done such an amazing thing, giving that guy a sandwich in the street, I'll make sure that he's saved from, from the death that a sinful life leads to. That's not how God works. He has love for us, but he hates what we do when we sin, but he loves us. And I feel from here, and it's low, and accepting what we've done is wrong, that there are a few ways to go and directions to head. You could go back to the place where your faith began, like a starting again, or as we, a word we use, back to our justification, or see it as a moment where in this, there's this game called Mario Kart, which some of you I appreciate won't know, uh, where you may have fallen off Rainbow Road. Now, I've got a, a picture to show what Rainbow Road looks like. There's no, there's no like, barriers at the side. You've got to try and stay on that road. If you fall off, then you have to go, you go back to where your last kind of place was. And so in that kind of like, theme, in your path of becoming like Christ, or sanctification as we call it, you get put, we go back to where we were first, we were last on the road. Now, I appreciate that these two words, justification and sanctification, are very big 
and very kind of like Christianese words. Like you don't hear them really outside of church. Um, and they, you may or may not know what they mean. I've got kind of given a brief kind of feeling of what they mean. But fear not, I'll try and unpack a bit more what they mean for you. Now, to help you understand, um, I'll start with an illustration from John Wesley, where Wesley stated that in one of his sermons, that if sanctification were a house, that justification would be the little porch kind of on the front. That So uh, justification is what Jesus did for us on the cross. In a, like, Paul gives this, uh, uses it in terms of a court where Jesus kind of stands in our place in, fa- in the face of the judge, which is God, and puts all of our wrong things on Jesus and not on us. And Paul uses this wonderful phrase in Romans uh, where he says, justified through faith. And it is through our faith in Jesus that justifies us in the face of the judge. And uh, the reality, there is nothing we can do. The reality of justification counteracts the feeling of separation. The hope and promise being the Holy Spirit in us. We are the temple and we can feel separate, but we fall back into the reality that he couldn't be closer to us. And so on to sanctification. This is, as I said earlier, is the journey of us trying, and I emphasize the word trying, to be more like Christ. And uh, so sanctification is achieved through this kind of rich relationship with God, where um, you are reacting and responding to that previous hopelessness talked about by having the heart knowledge that if you can't feel God's presence near you, then that doesn't mean it isn't. So the theme of a new heart in the book of Ezekiel is prevalent throughout. He talks about how God will come for and promises to Israel a new flesh heart for their stone heart that they've kind of adopted. And uh, particularly in the hope section of chapter 11, God gives the hope that Israel will have this new flesh heart to replace the heart of stone that they've had. And the parallels found in here in line with uh, what Jesus did and what a faith in Jesus does are remarkable. That because you have welcomed the Holy Spirit into you, it will transform your heart and your mind. That's another line from Romans. It's a great book. I recommend reading that after reading Ezekiel. Um, <laughs> I often hear an argument from people that, um, that the Old Testament isn't relevant today, it has no application, uh, it's certainly not boring, I guarantee you that. I like, find some like, really interesting stories in there. But you need to read and to interpret it well. And I personally feel that the warnings within Ezekiel as in the whole book of Ezekiel this time, that, uh, that, that God sends to Israel through Ezekiel, um, they can be applicable and relatable to us now. That there's this warning of uh, the idol jealousy. It's so easy to look at material things or practical skills or abilities people have and want them. And actually, within that... There's usually another idol behind that. Uh, 
that could be selfishness or pride, kind of overruling that jealousy, but it's seen as jealousy kind of outside. Now, either you want to enjoy it to yourself, which would be that selfishness, or you want the praise from other people for that ability, that being the pride. And so then we'll look at the idol of Tammuz. I would understand this as an idol specific to the land that you're in. So we look at the UK and the political state it is now. Brexit, I see, could be becoming an idol for so many people. It's, on su- it's such a forefront of people's minds and it kind of takes top priority with some people. Uh, we're nearing the end of the football season now and people could be putting that as a priority over God. Will Liverpool win the league? Will the English football team finally win a trophy after so many years? It can feel like they're the most important things in the world. But in reality, there are more important things that matter. Now, the sun idol. There's a recent rise in Eastern religions uh, over the past 50 years, of which some worship the sun. And perhaps this is something to be aware of. It's not me saying what these things and these idols actually kind of are. It's more of me just highlighting the dangers that were in that time are still here and prevalent now. And actually, it's so easy, because the Bible is such a blessing to us that we can read it all and we're not within it, we can, uh, we can slate the Israels for the decisions they make. It's so easy to actually look at them and think, oh, they were a bit stupid choosing that. But actually, how are we to know that we wouldn't slip in the same way that they did? or of a similar magnitude. There is hope, though, amid all of this judgment that God is bringing, that, uh, that that is God's presence is with us. And with the fact that we don't have to wait for Jesus to come to justify us, because we are in a better position than the Israelites were in Ezekiel. We have a saviour who has came to justify us. And we have the hope that Jesus, what Jesus came to do was to turn our stone hearts to a heart of flesh and to put flesh back on the dry bones and bring life in the form of water to the desert and barren lands. And when you're in that hopeless place where you don't feel God's presence, with you, and you don't have that heart knowledge to just know he is there with you, that you read Ezekiel 11 and know you don't need to be in a temple, you don't need to be in a church to be in God's presence. That God's presence, like in the throne chariot, has wheels. Now the act of reconciliation in this, it's a beautiful thing that God has on offer for us. And the amount that God offered this reconciliation to the Israelites when they'd done something stupid clearly shows how much of a reconciling God he is. It can be seen throughout the Bible that God reconciles with his people. It's through covenant that he reconciles mainly within the Old Testament. That uh, For those of you who don't know what a covenant is, it's an agreement between two parties. And God forms a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17. And then he uh, 
um, forms a covenant with Moses again on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19-24. That God is constantly in covenant with Israel. No matter how often they let their side of the covenant down, that being them being his people, he is still reconciling them. Now the interesting part is that Testament, as in Old and New Testament, actually translates from Greek and Hebrew through to the word covenant. And we are in covenant with God now. We are in the new covenant that Jesus brought about, where we don't have to repent through the sacrificial system. Our God has been a God of reconciliation for as long as the Bible records. And if we end up in a place where we aren't feeling his presence, that that, like everything else, can be reconciled through him. So, with all this information, what can we do practically? Well, here are three things, quite like Pete, I like to do this. We have got, number one, be honest with God. Now, it can be really easy to fall into a relationship with God where we have more of a transcendent view. Transcendent being more that God is kind of up in the skies, kind of we don't have really any way of relating to him in, on a relational kind of way. And, um, and that, that we cannot have a relationship with him unless we are pure and spotless, which isn't possible. And he wants us to be honest with him with how we're feeling. And that honesty with him is the start of the reconciliation. It also encourages a deepening of relationship with him. When we look at Jesus, he was honest with God in the Garden of Gethsemane. And with our striving to be Christ-like, shouldn't we follow suit? So point two, open your heart to God. Amazing things can happen when you open your heart to God. If you have anything tying your heart from being open to God, then please come and seek some prayer after the service. The prayer team will be over here. Uh, When you open your heart to God, he flows his Holy Spirit through you and through your heart to turn it from a a stone heart to a flesh heart. A heart so in love with him, we yearn for his presence. Also, through opening your heart to God, you can discern his presence more. And you can hear what God is saying to you easier. It's also important to remember that opening your heart is more than just opening up in terms of honesty, like the previous point, but it's also receiving from him too. And so point three, be surprised by the hope of God. It's so easy at and after Easter, to be swept away with the emotion that is the cross and to be blown away by what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it is an amazing thing that he did. And I'll never be able to thank him enough. But there is power in the fresh revelations of hope that can be found in God. And there's so much within here to discover and be surprised by the amazing hope that God has given us. And I urge you to, when you're feeling hopeless, find the eternal God, eternal hope God gives us within here.
and coming into land, I remember that God judges, he reconciles, and he brings hope that can only be found within him. Also be encouraged that even though God feels distant, that he's still at work within you. So if anything has come up this morning, uh, today for you, and you need prayer for it, the prayer team, as I said earlier, will be here at the front. So please come and ask for some prayer.